From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission. Hi, my name is Tamara Shahada, and in, I spend my days dabbling in medical research, but my passions lie within my leadership in intercultural and interfaith work. And um, welcome to Just Conversations. Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist. Filmed in the Grand Reading Room of the Nashville Public Library, I'm joined today by my colleagues and I'll let them introduce themselves to you. Well, my name is Sally Amkoa. I am originally from Kenya, but I've been an immigrant in the U.S. for 10 years. I work as a healthcare analyst professionally, but I am very passionate about storytelling and writing. Uh, my name is Christian Rincon. Uh, I'm a graphic designer who focuses on social impact work. Uh, I'm a first-generation American, uh, son of two immigrants from Colombia, uh, and I'm happy to be here for this conversation. Hi, I'm Miriam Benbeck. I work in robotics and innovation. I am from the U.S. and initially from Chicago, and I'm happy to be here for this conversation. Hi, I'm Tashi Murugase. Uh, I'm originally from Sri Lanka. I immigrated to Nashville in 2000, um, and I run an incubator for startups in the Bay Area, um, quarantining right now in Nashville, and I'm excited to join the conversation with Tamara. All right, so today we're going to be discussing chapter seven of Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in chapter seven, he talks about what it means to be a cultural anti-racist. He defines it as one who rejects the idea that one culture can be superior to another. Today, we're going to dive deeper into this topic while reflecting on our own experiences. So there's a section of chapter seven where Kendi is talking about the English language, and he asks, why is it that Ebonics is considered broken English? but English isn't considered broken German. So Sally, being someone that uh, migrated here from Kenya um, for college where many things are probably different, including your dialect of English, um, the way that you speak and the culture itself, what are some forms of cultural racism that you have experienced? Well, it's very interesting. For me, I don't even think that it starts with when I moved to America, um, Kenya was colonized by the British. And so from a very early age, English was elevated above our local languages. I remember in school specifically, when I was a kid, we used to have this concept of a disc, like a really ugly necklace that a kid would have to wear if they spoke any language other than English. Like that was the punishment because they're trying to encourage um, they're trying to encourage us to speak English. So it was just very interesting how English was also a, a signature of your status in culture. If you had uh, an accent that was very close to the British or the American accent, then it was, you were a little bit better than everybody else. And now it's just so silly when I think about it as a grown up, but those values still, I, I think still like, carry on subconsciously, even as you grow up. I remember when I finally moved to the US, being very conscious of my accent. Um, it was just, 
I kept wanting to just be able to speak in a way that didn't attract too much attention, to be more accepted. And I actually also had friends who are immigrants who are very, very conscious of their accents because they were worried about what it means when you go for an interview. Will someone think you're less intelligent because you don't speak fluently? There's a lot of misconceptions that people make about people just because they don't speak the language in the way that they expect them to. So that was my experience. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I want to further explore that term um, cultural racism, um, where in this chapter, Kenny describes how individuals often feel that assimilation is better than segregation. Um, Tushi, can you share your thoughts on this um, in relation to how it was to grow up in Nashville after experiencing childhood in um, like Hindu culture in Sri Lanka? How was yeah. that experience for you? Yeah, I felt the need to assimilate to be seen as like intelligent, um, worthy. Um, the, the idea of like being less than was already ingrained, similar to what Sally was mentioning in, in Sri Lanka and India. When I, uh, when I was growing up, you had to learn to speak English and be able to read in English. Um, and I have a funny antidote I wanted to share because when I first moved to the US, I knew how to read and write in English. Um, but in middle school, my first couple of experiences, I remember writing the word color with an O-U-R, and that's how I learned it in Sri Lanka. And my teacher here in Nashville marked it as wrong, and I kind of questioned everything that I was and everything that I knew. Uh, I was like, did, did they teach me the wrong English in Sri Lanka? Now I have to like relearn everything. And I remember not knowing enough English to ask questions about why that was wrong. I didn't know why the O-U-R was wrong compared to the O-R. Um, anyways, that was a pivot. But your question around assimilation, I think um, growing up in Nashville, I didn't wear a potu, which is like what Hindus wear, Hindu women and girls wear um, as part of our identity. So I remember not wearing that. My mom's like, you don't have to wear it because people don't wear it here. Whereas my cousins that are growing up in Canada, they still wear a potu and they're seen as like their whole self can come to a space where in Nashville, I didn't feel comfortable enough to wear that. Um, I also like, you know, didn't talk about Hinduism. I also was very picky about the type of food that my mom can pack to take to school because I didn't want to be seen as the other. I wanted to just fit in with the American kids. Um, and it's interesting because that experience was kind of um, ingrained on other immigrants students as well because we were all trying to assimilate and I was bullied by other immigrant students for not being American enough. Um, so that's that was my middle school experience here in Nashville. Yeah. And I think um, many of us here today can probably relate to what you're saying, um, just feeling like the other or feeling like we are less than. There is um, a quote in the book by Theodore Roosevelt in chapter seven that Kendi um, states, and he said in, in that quote, uh, Roosevelt says that the goal should be to assimilate the backward race. 
um, arguably a statement that a president shouldn't ever make about his people. Um, so Christian, I want to um, open up the floor to you and I want to hear more about your experience and it might be a little bit different considering you were born and raised in the States. Um, so in hindsight, do you recall ever experiencing cultural racism as a child? Uh, yeah, so yeah, it is a little bit of a different experience, but for me growing up in New Jersey to two immigrant parents, uh, I both uh, I, I both was born here, but also uh, didn't have the luxury of uh, kind of learning English outside of school. So I, um, you know, I was taught English in English as a second language class, and I had a very thick accent because that's what I heard in, at home. And, uh, you know, I'm I think that as time went on, I experienced kind of both worlds where I experienced uh, feeling uh, like someone who came to this country. And then as time went on, uh, I experienced kind of uh, the experience that people who pass as white or pass as you know, European descent would experience. Um, and I think like uh, similarly, uh, and anecdotally, I experienced cultural racism uh, more so from the perspective of like my parents obviously growing up in another country uh, and not having uh, the education that I had the opportunity to have because they didn't finish high school. And um, anyway, that all being said, I, you know, there are all the books that we read as kids, like To Kill a Mockingbird and like all those, you know, uh, Shakespeare, I remember reading those and I remember going home and being like, hey, did you like, did you read this as a kid? Or like, do you know about this, uh, this like iconic piece of literature? Uh, and they would tell me, no, like they didn't read that in school. And I remember like subconsciously over time, like that became ingrained in me that like, oh, my parents aren't like, they didn't get to be as educated as I am, you know, third grade Christian. Uh, and I think like, yeah, I guess like ironically, I perpetrated the cultural racism on my own, like self and my own family. Uh, and, I, and this, I mean, I didn't realize this until later on when I started reading more uh, literature and history from the perspective of people who uh, are not of European descent and are not, you know, Anglo. And so uh, yeah, it was, it's wild because for me, kind of like Kendi discusses in the chapter, uh, for me, it was like, you know, what we learned in school was like the standard and anything outside of that is kind of like broken or it's like, you know, something not learned or something not educated. And um, yeah, it took a lot of time to kind of unlearn that perspective, but it's weird like thinking back on it that I both was the like uh, non-immigrant immigrant and then I was like the perpetrator of the racism, so yeah. Yeah, and I guess it um, really relates to the chapter where, you know, he talks about assimilation and sometimes, um, especially people that are different will assimilate to a fault, if you will, um, where we feel like 
in order for us to be on top or for, for us to be accepted, we kind of just go with the flow or go with um, what appears to be the superior um, mold. Um, there's uh, uh, recently Somali supermodel um, Halima Eden, if you guys are familiar with her, she kind of had like a personal breakthrough where she realized that um, she didn't um, want to kind of like submit to that anymore, that she wanted to find herself and she was proud of who she was um, and what she believed. And she said something really interesting, or rather she posted it, and she said that um, it was really hard to be a minority inside of a minority inside of a minority. So a minority on three levels. Um, and that kind of made me think of you, Miriam, like as a um, black Muslim woman, so a minority inside of a minority inside of a minority, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago um, as a black Muslim female, um, where did you experience cultural racism? That's a great question. So definitely like a triple threat in a sense, right? Um, being a black, black Muslim woman. Um, growing up, I didn't actually wear my hijab, which is what I have now. Uh, some people might just see it as a head wrap. Um, being in Nashville, I guess that was the first question my dad asked when I moved here. He was like, are you going to wear your hijab when you move to Nashville? And I was like, yes, I am. And I guess that kind of just lingered with me all through childhood as well because I, I didn't wear it. My mom, she said, you know, you don't have to do that. And the reason why is because, I, I don't know, my sisters and I, we always grew up in a bubble, it seemed. Um, we always did our own thing. Like, we, we grew up watching anime. We, we, we watched Korean drama. We, we learned dance routines. Like, we were so involved in all of these different experiences um, across different cultures, I never really considered one thing as like, if we're talking about black culture in a sense or mainstream black culture, I never considered that as something that I was, that was supposed to be my true identity, my one thing I always do and this is a part of me. So when I got to school, it, I always felt kind of like an outsider because it's like, okay, you don't have on Jordans and you're not wearing Air Force Ones. Not to say that fashion is the only, um, the only thing that we should be focusing on within black culture, but it was different elements such as that to where I just felt like I could never connect. And so it took a long time for me, you know, going from grade school and then to high school and then even college to truly feel comfortable with myself. And it wasn't someone from like a different race that I felt oh, I have to you know, hide my blackness or anything of that nature. It felt more so from people that were very similar to me that I just felt like I could never truly connect with. So it took a lot in just trying to find myself. And you know, then I decided to wear my hijab and you know, take these different parts of being Muslim and being black and growing up in Chicago until I felt like I could truly be the person that I wanted to be. And, and that was a struggle. And it's not something that you learn. It's not something that Absolutely. you're gonna it's be written on a piece of paper. It's just something that you have to kind of go through within that experience. Absolutely. So through reading um, the book and particularly this chapter, what are some um, things that really stood out to you um, or some takeaways that you um, feel that you um, either can really understand or um, have 
come to your attention that you may have never thought about before? Sally? Well, I, I think that um, Kenny gave this example of his own cultural racism when you know he moved to the South and suddenly thought that he had like a cooler version of blackness. And that made me think of this tension that sometimes exists between black Africans and black African Americans because of our different views of each other's cultures. And that's something that I got to experience firsthand when I came to college here in the US. And I, when I was in Kenya, I just always assumed that, you know, when you're black, when you go to America, you'll show up and you'll just be part of, you know, black culture. But it's, there's a, a very significant cultural difference that needs to be understood and experienced and respected. And some of the differences, like, I remember is when I first got to freshman year, you know, I, I was very fortunate to get a scholarship and I had all these values from going up in uh, a country that valued education very highly. Like, if you got the chance to go to college, graduating wasn't a question. But then I showed up in freshman year and was baffled by how much resources were being put towards college retention. I didn't understand it. So for me, I was like, how do you not graduate when you get to college? And just thought that maybe I was just a, a better student. Maybe I was just more committed, but that's not the case. Once I started to interact with more students from different backgrounds, I discovered all of the nuances of, of structural racism here in America that makes some students beat so many odds to get to college and still not have enough support to thrive. You know, I had a friend who grew up in the foster care system and you know, he managed to get to college, but once he turned 18, he just didn't have any support system. Whereas I have uh, you know, a father who has a PhD. He can't afford to pay for my college here, but still he, he gave me so many values that, and so many skills that people just don't think about as as being important. So just like understanding that I was advantaged even as a black person in America, I was significantly advantaged compared to some of my um, African-American counterparts that some of them in, in um, college, I don't want to paint a broad brush because there was, it was still a very diverse group. There were still very uh, well-to-do, very well-equipped people, but there was also a group that was significantly disadvantaged. Yeah, um, I think uh, what I mentioned before about me kind of culturally being racist towards myself and to, towards like my family because, I, because of the misconceptions that I had definitely came up when reading this chapter, this book. But I think, yeah, I think just more so similar to what you were uh, saying, Sally, is that like I, I didn't realize why my parents needed me so bad to try so hard in school and twice as hard and, you know, not slack off. And uh, because, I mean, it, I didn't end up, you know, Ivy League school or anything. I, you know, I, I went to a public school and got a degree and 
and like a lot of people, a degree that didn't necessarily matter <laughs> later on um, because I didn't study design. But like, uh, yeah, I just, I realized that like, you know, unfortunately in this country, uh, you know, if you are not kind of part of majority culture, there are a lot of barriers, invisible and visible, that come up and uh, just, you know, something as simple as the conversation that we're having right now about, you know, you sound funny or you dress funny or you uh, don't do the right thing that all of us are doing. Like those things stifle, you know, kids that stifles like whether or not they want to keep going to school. I mean, when Kendi talks about, you know, at a certain point, like, he just got C's and D's so he could stay in school to play on the basketball team and he like didn't make the basketball team. Uh, and for a lot of kids, that's like the case is like, you know, all of that racism and prejudice like just deters them from continuing education. And not that that doesn't exist elsewhere, but it's just so uh, prevalent in this country. and. Um, yeah, that was an incredible takeaway from Kendi in this chapter. Yeah, I would like to say um, <clears throat> one part that I took away from that chapter is when Kendi discussed that, you know, not one subgroup or um, not one person's culture can be compared to someone else's. Me thinking of Chicago black culture is not the same as Bronx culture. And even how my parents raised us, thinking about, okay, well, why didn't they teach us a certain thing? So it was a lot of reflection on my inner self and what I learned and what I hope to bring forward to myself and my future family. Um, that was kind of my biggest takeaways because I just never thought of it in that manner. It's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe even my own family, you know, within my sisters, their, their experience was not my experience and no one's experience is someone else's. And so understanding that and, and being able to make sure that it's equal, I, I think that was the largest takeaway that I had. Um, I, I have two things that I kind of took away from this. One, um, the notion that assimilation is also cultural racism. I think I learned that I have so much unlearning to do in terms of trying to assimilate to the mainstream culture. Um, the other piece is that I grew up here in Nashville, but then I went to live in blue cities like Boston and the Bay Area. And I also carry cultural, I'm a cultural racist in that I look down on people in the South and um, there is racism within me that I need to work on in terms of looking at folks who have different experiences, um, who are not mainstream American, um, who are, who, who, you know, who are born and raised here as well. So there is work that I need to do for myself and how I see the world. Yeah, there's a really um, great quote that I use often, um, but it says something like, it's not enough just to invite people to the party, but you also have to let them choose the music as well. Um, and that 
really um, honors that person and where they come from, what their culture is, what their practices are, and shows a better form of inclusion and equality than um, just asking them to attend. Um, so to wrap up, I don't know what to say, so I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so I really want to thank you guys all for being here today and sharing your personal experiences um, with me. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to the discussion today. For more information and more episodes, you can go to www.justconversations.org. Just Conversations is presented by the Metro Nashville Human Relations Commission. Executive producers Sarah Imran, Mark Etherly, Barbara Gunlardi, and Bob Farisee. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmid, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit justconversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at Just Conversate, on Instagram at Just Conversaciones, or on Facebook at Just Conversate. 